Hey everyone, this is Elliot Dean Rubinson of Dean Guitars. You're listening to Signal to Noise. One, two, three, four. Hello and welcome to the Signal to Noise podcast. This is my first official episode of this podcast. If you've been listening to the feed, you've been hearing a lot of other shows that I've done for the Iron City Rocks podcast. Um, thanks to my buddy John over at ironcityrocks.com. But this is going to be the first um, official podcast in my own personal series that I hope to keep going where we're going to talk about gear, uh, guitars, music, artist interviews, um, pretty much anything involving guitars and music because I do love guitars, basses, and just rock and roll and all that sort of stuff. So our first episode here, we had the opportunity um, to talk to Elliot Dean Rubison of Dean Guitars. And I'm really excited about this because why I want to talk to Elliot is um, yesterday was August 20th. It was Dimebag's birthday, Dimebag Daryl. He would have been 45 yesterday. Um, and really wanted to take a chance and um, sit down and talk about Dean Guitars and how um, Dime came back to Dean. Because if you know anything about Dime, you know that he loved the Dean brand and some of you may remember, some of you may not. He was with Washburn for about 10 years in the 90s, you know, roughly 94 to 2004, somewhere in there. And um, I know when when he got the chance to come back to Dean, it had to be a really exciting moment for him, like a homecom- homecoming. Um, so we're going to celebrate Dime today. That opening track you heard, Keeping My Clean Tag, we're just going to call it Hostile. But it is off of the Pantera record of Vulgar Display of Power. One of my favorite Pantera records, some of Dime's best work. Um, and without any further ado, we're going to get into our interview with Elliot. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to welcome to our show today, um, Elliot Rubinson of Armadillo Enterprises. How are you doing today, Elliot? Great, Aaron. How's everything over there? Oh, we're doing great. Well, Elliot, I want to thank you for taking time out of your day to talk to us today, because um, what we wanted to talk about specifically is being guitars. Um, so My favorite subject. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> what? Can you tell us about um, a little bit about Armadillo, I guess, and how you guys ended up acquiring the Dean line? Sure. Well, Armadillo is, is kind of our umbrella company, and under that uh, umbrella, we own four brands. There's four brands. is Dean Guitars, D-Drum, Drum Company, um, Luna Guitars, and Dime Amplifiers. So those are our four brands. Um, back in 1997, Dean, had, Dean Guitars had been pretty much out of business for quite some time, probably... Ten years, for the most part, really had been in hibernation. In 1997, somebody approached me and had the, just a Dean name for sale. Dean had not been in, in production and made me a great deal to buy the name Dean and relaunch the company. So I saw a real opportunity to take the line to much greater heights than it had ever been. You know, in, in its heyday, it was maybe, you know, in the 80s, it was probably a million-dollar company. And today it's about, um, you know, an $18 million company just on Dean Guitars. So I just saw an opportunity. I saw the fact that it was a USA company, there were very few USA guitar companies that were succeeding other than Fender and Gibson and PRS. And I just saw a great brand with a lot of artists that would, had been playing Dean in the past. Yeah, and speaking of artists, um, you guys have done an amazing job of kind of, I would almost say, snatching some major players away and uh, coming towards Dean, like um, Dave Mustaine, 
Randy Cooper of the Texas Hippie Coalition, and then, of course, Jeff Berlin, one of my favorite bass players. How, right. how have you guys gone about um, you know, your artist relations? How has that come, come about? Well, you know, uh, we have a full-time guy who does Dean Artist Relations, as well as I get involved with some of the you know, higher-end guys. I was involved with getting Dimebag back, uh, very involved with Dave. In fact, we were with him the other night at... Um, um, here in Tampa, they were playing, and uh, you know they're good friends of mine. I think that's an important part is to have a good working relationship and a friendship because if you have that, then the endorsement is is a piece of cake. If there's a trust level and they trust what you're doing for them, the guitars you're bringing out are guitars that you would play yourself. That means a lot. In the case of Dimebag, I think you know it was interesting. Um, he came back. He had uh, Dean was out of business. He went to another guitar company, and he just really missed Dean guitars. He heard a lot of great things about what we were doing with the company. And in 2004, uh, he gave us a call. We started to discuss things with him. He flew here in September of 2004. Loved what we did. Loved the guitars we had. He just picked up guitars off the wall randomly and started playing them and loved them. And uh, we, long story short, even before we signed him, he started playing our guitars and wearing Dean shirts on stage. It was amazing. He just really felt like a part of our company and our family. And uh, we we formalized our agreement in November of 2004. And six weeks later, he was murdered on stage. It was a tragic, tragic event for everybody. But uh, we had six weeks to get his line of guitars together for the NAMM show and launch it and come out with the Razorback, which is his you know, design. So it was a very tight time frame. Yeah, and, and you know, the um, Razorback's death back in 2004, that was, that was just an amazing, um, amazingly surreal kind of day for me, um, I guess for you as well. Right. Um, how did you end up having to hear the news for that? Did, did somebody call well, you? Well, actually, you know, I was I was at home and I got a call from one of my employees who got a call from someone who was at the show or near the show or something, and you know, they said Dime was shot, and I thought, you know, my my vision of it was maybe he was shot, you know, in the leg or something. I had no idea it would be a fatal shooting, and I got a call back 15 minutes later tell me that he had passed away, and it was it was just really hard for me to believe. Um, you know, and then after that, we had to go to his house in Dallas and actually go through the trailer and take guitars out and 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 put together, formulate a plan for Nam, a little shrine for the trade show. And I felt, you know, it was a lot of pressure to to do this because, as you know, Dime has so many fans. His funeral was held in a convention center because there were so many yeah. people who wanted to attend. So it was uh, it was a lot. But anyway, as I'm talking to you now, I'm staring at his original guitars. I have them here in my office, uh, the guitars he played that night, uh, his guitars he recorded Walk With, and uh, they're in my office every day. I look at them and think about it. Oh, that's amazing. Now, um, coming to the dime line, like you guys have honestly done an amazing job of really helping to preserve Dimebag's legacy. Cause, I mean, he was a great guitar player. He was highly celebrated came to this this very tragic end, and you guys have really managed to to keep him elevated, um, you know, to to a status that he really deserves. So, how do you guys go about keeping the Dime brand alive? Like, how what's involved with with like the Dime bag guitars and that sort of stuff? How do you guys sure. go about choosing that well, line? Okay, well, first of all, I want to say that it, it's a it's a tightrope because you know people accuse us of you know being grave robbers and all this, but first of all, they're a state, obviously. Uh, you know, wants us to keep this brand alive. They're a part of the, you know, financial, uh, you know, mechanism of this. And, you know, they're totally involved. It's not like we're building guitars and, and they're not benefiting. So I want to make that clear. Second of all, Dime told me personally 
back in 2004 that he wanted his fans to have the best playing guitars, guitars that weren't so heavy that were that, that kids, you know, who are 13, 14 can actually put on their shoulder and play for three or four hours. They were easy to play, and it was very important to him to have instruments his fans loved. So uh, I heard that direct from him. Uh, in terms of uh, producing more guitars, uh, you might know that the Razorback guitar is something that he and I worked on. He sent me a fax in September of a drawing of a guitar he thought would be a beautiful and, and great-selling guitar, and lo and behold, it was the Razorback. Uh, I still have the fax papers here in my office, but he faxed that to me. We uh, made the first Razorback you know, in our shop. Um, drew it out, sent it to him, let him see what it would look like on him. We actually sent him like a styrofoam, you know, cut up of a, a Razorback to see how it would look on him. Uh, unfortunately, he never got to play one before his death. He was going to do a photo shoot the day the day after his death. We had a photo uh-huh. shoot planned. So, so basically, to answer your question, the line consists of the dime line consists of MLs, which is, you know, a Dean guitar design. It's kind of like our Stratocaster or Les Paul the ML, and also Razorback. So we look at different price points. We look at the economy. We try to put as much value and as much playability into the guitars for as little money as possible. And we've been able to hit you know, price points as low as 299 all the way up to you know, USA, full-blown USA guitars for 5000 and everything in between. So it's a question of getting you know, graphic concepts together, um, using the same woods that he used. He loved mahogany and rosewood fingerboards, so we try to center on those kind of building materials when we think about his guitars. Yeah, that, that's just awesome. And you know what's funny? Like, I, the, the Grave Robber thing, I, I kind of like figured that there would be some backlash like that, but anybody who's ever read any of the articles with Dimes um, he really didn't want to not play Dean guitars. I mean, like, you know, I, I have one of the Washburn Deans for, for, or one of the Washburn MLs or whatever you want to call them from that era. Right. And, you know, he did it because there was no other options. I mean, he loved Dean guitars. That, that you know, any, anyone who knows Dime, I, like, being able to come back to you guys had to be probably one of the greatest bits of, you know, joy in his life, you know, being able to come home. It was, and you know, he was, uh, I believe, he told me he was 14 when he had his first time guitar. He um, he played one at a music store, loved it, his father bought him one. I mean, it's a whole long story, and that's how the uh, Dean from Hell came about. His father bought him a guitar, it got refinished, and so forth. But anyway, when you're a kid and you just drool over a catalog, you, sometimes you never get beyond that and that was the case with Dime and Dean guitars he just never got beyond it he recorded with him even the time when he had other endorsements and he was just really really pleased when he came back to us uh, in 2004 and I wish we would have had more time with him yeah that's a shame now the Dean from Hell um, you guys did a great tribute series on that how did you guys go about doing the designs like did you copy that guitar exactly well, what, what we like to do, uh, you know, I went to Dime's house. And I went through his yeah. attic, and he had over, well over 100 guitars. I went through every case. I found the Dean from Hell. I found um, a few of his other key guitars that were, you know, prominent on records and in, in magazines and things. And we brought them back to Florida. And we actually, when we, we build a guitar like this, we take a micrometer and actually measure neck width at the first fret, 12th fret. We measured body thicknesses. I mean, we're, we're very scientific about it, down to how Dime would put a piece of black electrical tape on the front pickup of his guitar, because when he did squeals, dive bombs with his Floyd, the string would invariably get caught under the coils of the pickup, so he'd tape them up so to prevent the string from getting snagged. So we'd even copy those things. He'd take his knobs and take a soldering gun and 
actually burn holes in the knob to get a grip on yeah. the knob because he'd sweat so much and his hand would slide off the knob. So we duplicated all these you know, intricate details of the guitar to make it as accurate for the fans as possible. So that's how we did the Dean from Hell. We brought that guitar back to Florida and we copied. On that guitar, we made a few minor changes because the tremolo on that guitar was actually put in after the fact. It wasn't factory, so it was top-mounted in the guitar and we actually did a Floyd that was recessed into the body. We felt it would be an improvement. Oh, it's phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Now, you guys have expanded the dime line to include the dime amplifiers. And that's something I really like to talk about. Um, sure. About how you guys went about to kind of, I, I guess, how, how, how did the dime amp ever even come about, really? Well, you know, it's funny. Um, first of all, the world doesn't necessarily need another amp, so we, we really didn't have any plans to do it. When I was at his house, in a studio behind his house, there was an old amplifier head sitting there, an old, you know, Randall amp, and it was called an RG100. And I started yeah. talking to Rita, his girlfriend, about it, and she said, you know, every night, no matter what he had on stage, that was the amp he'd play. He had it behind the stacks. And it was old, like a pawn shop special, like, you know, a, you know, a $200 amplifier. But he loved the sound of solid state and always played solid state until the last few months of his life. He was experimenting with tubes. Um, and, you know, something just fell into place. We contacted the old engineer who bought that, who designed that amp and brought him out of retirement. He actually owns a speaker reconing shop in California. I started talking to him about designing another amp. He said, sure, that'd be easy. I could bring it up into 2010 specs. And he designed the prototype. We listened to it, and it was basically dime in a box. It was his tone. I mean, exactly his tone. And just to confirm, we brought Grady Champion in, who was Dime's guitar tech of 13 years, brought him in and said, listen to this amp. What do you think about it? You set up Dime's equipment every night for many, many years. He made a couple of minor tweaks, like putting a second effects loop on one of the channels and adding a little bit more low end to it. And, you know, he just totally signed off on the amp. He actually would play through it, play some of Dime's licks, and it sounded like Dimebag playing. So we said, if we could bring this out, bring it out at an affordable price that, you know, the average consumer can afford, we have a winner. And in the days of uh, amps having, you know, tuners built in, digital effects built in, this is none of that. This is just, if you want that, buy another brand. This is all about getting that metal tone simply, yeah. easily, no tubes to worry about at a very affordable price. That's awesome. I've always been a fan of Solid State myself. And I remember, you know, all the quests for the the Dime Randall amps. A buddy of mine back in the 90s, um, I remember going with him from shop to shop looking for old Randall heads trying to right. recreate Dime's rig. Exactly. I mean, so now you can buy it brand new. Yeah, I think it's amazing you guys are doing that. <clears throat> So it's a, right, it just so. it fell into place and it and again it worked and we even make amps as low as you know a little over a hundred dollars for you know little practice amps and people love it it's a, it's a memory of dime it's a great sounding amp it's a good value and a great tone. That's awesome. Now, are there any other like dime projects uh, coming down the pike you can talk about or? Maybe just like a wait-and-see kind of thing? Well, right now, every year, we bring out the majority of our products at the NAMM show in California every year. Um, gotcha. And, the big one in January, uh, right? Right. So we'll be – we're right now working on a bunch of um, – of, of ideas now. We're waiting to get back some artwork and things for graphics, so it's a little too early to, to discuss it, but we probably will know something gotcha. in another eight weeks. We're working on his guitars, uh, Dave Mustaine's guitars, you know, Michael Amott from Arch Enemy, you know, all these guys, Michael Schenker. So, you know, there's a, we have a lot of great artists, and we want to, you know, make sure that we don't ignore anyone. So we have a, it's, it's, it's a tough job to keep the uh, all the plates spinning. Yeah, 
Oh, yeah. Now, one thing I also noticed, that you guys have been very involved in, um, in not just, I guess, like the commerce side of, of the dime things, like the dime line, but also very involved in the charity side as well. Like you guys support and sponsor the Ride for Dime. Um, how, how has that relationship come about? Well, you know, what we do is we get a lot of requests to do different charity events. And, you know, obviously we can't do all of them, but we look at the events, we see how worthy they are, how much they're going to raise, and we try to get involved with, you know, the, the largest projects we can. For instance, we did a thing called Six String Masterpieces a few years ago where we had... You remember that? We had artists painting guitars from all over the world, and we'd send them blank MLs. They'd send them back painted. We'd assemble them and, and clear them, and we had them on display at the NAM show. We've had them around the world on display, and we auctioned them off and raised, as I recall, a couple hundred thousand dollars for charity. So to me, that was the best one to date. The Ride for Dime, some people we knew were involved with it. It seems like it's a yearly event. It seems to be growing, so we're involved with that as well. So, you know, again, if it's a big event, it, it's going to raise some money for for a charity, especially Dimes Charities, and then we're all about it. No, that's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. And um, I just, I, I love, I love seeing the, um, the ML shape back home where it belongs, so to speak, and you know, with the, with the famous DMD headstock as well. Well, we own that shape, and you know, we we in the past before I owned the company, it was licensed to a couple of other companies. That's yeah. not something we are considering doing again. You know, the V headstock is is our brand. It's something you can see from you know, 50, 100 yards away, you can see it on a stage. And, you know, immediately it's a Dean guitar. And, you know, we protect that that, that patent we have on that um, very aggressively. We just want to make sure people don't steal something that, that, that's, you know, part of us. And we're not interested in licensing anymore. We, we cover all the bases, and we want that to be our shape going into the future. That's awesome. Well, um, Elliot, I'm not going to take any more of your time. I really do appreciate you coming on the show today, and just thank you very much. It's great to talk to you, and uh, we'll uh, we'll talk again soon. I hope. Right, we are back. The song that you just heard was Walk, also from A Vulgar Display of Power. Another track that I really enjoyed off that record. Um, and that was our interview with Elliot. Um, I, again, I want to thank Elliot for coming on the show. I really appreciate him taking the time to talk to us um, about the um, Dean line of Dime Bag Guitars and now the new Dime Amplification and how they've gone about putting those together and keeping that keeping that legacy alive. Because, I mean, you know, Dime was a, was a heck of a player, very influential guy. Um, but he was also just a big music fan. He was kind of a big kid at heart. So one of the reasons I want to put this together is because um, in the 90s, well, I really feel that we kind of lost a lot of the coolness around guitar. There were a lot of people playing guitar, but it wasn't cool to be good. It wasn't cool to play solos. And there were guys that were good, you know, so, so don't get me wrong. There was a lot of good stuff going on. But it just, I didn't feel like um, there was anybody in the 90s pushing me to be a better player. Um, not like Dime did. Now, on the bass department, being, being more of a bass player, there are a lot of great bass players that came out of the 90s. So it kind of was the decade for bass there. Um, but for guitar, man, not so much. But Dime really kept that alive. You know, he came roaring out of the gate um, in 1990 and kept putting out records every couple years with Pantera. 
And they just kept it going. And he always found new and inventive ways just to be crazy and make all kinds of crazy noise. All right, so um, last thing I guess we'll talk about here, and then we'll call it a wrap. The whole point of this podcast is to talk about guitars, gear, and such. So let's say that you want to grab yourself um, one of these great Dean uh, Signature Dime Bag guitars. But maybe you want to get a lower end and still try to trick it out the way the Dime would have. Well, get one of those guitars, get yourself a Seymour Duncan 59 uh, neck pickup, and then the Bill Lawrence XL500L um, breech pickup, and drop those in there and go to town. That's part of Dime Signature Sound. Some simple surgery, make yourself a little bit of a tinkerer. Um, and hopefully in future episodes, we'll be talking about how I'm going to be tinkering with some of my guitars and for the quest for tone that I'm about to embark on here. Um, anyway, hey, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy the interview. Um, hope, hope you learned a lot of it like I did. And we're going to end here with a uh, track off the very first record by Pantera, Cowboys from Hell. And this will be the title track, Cowboys from Hell. Till next time, make some noise and thanks. Thank you.